Well, I first got introduced to this author a few months ago. Um, his name is Mike Bond. Uh, not James Bond, but Mike Bond. But honestly, this guy's like a James Bond because uh, this journalist has uh, spent his career uh, in the crap, in the mud, uh, with uh, and involved in uh, uh, eh, some global issues like uh, Lebanon and Beirut and uh, uh, some guerrilla action. Um, I'm talking with Mike Bond today. Um, Good morning, and this is Chapter One. Mike, how the heck are you? I'm doing great, Greg. Thank you very much, and thank you for the invitation on on the show. It's a great show. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Um, well, listen, um, we uh, we need to talk about some uh, some other issues other than you as a uh, author. I know that you're a uh, uh, a very dedicated uh, environmentalist uh, activist, and uh, let's let's have you explain a little bit on your uh, environmental and uh, issues and concerns. Okay, that's kind of an open-ended thought. It is, isn't uh, it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, a lot of it, as a matter of fact, uh, focuses on Idaho. Um, I've, I've been uh, in, involved in environmental, environmental issues for many, many years, Greg, uh, starting out with uh, uh, fighting uh, uh, what can I say, uh, hit-and-run logging uh, on, in the California Redwoods to, uh, to flooding of uh, main uh, wild and scenic rivers to make dams. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> basically what it, what it comes from is having, as, as, as a young person, having spent an enormous time in the out-of-doors and uh, camping and hiking. And even when I was like four and five, uh, I would go out into the forest and I didn't care if I just wanted to keep going. I wasn't interested in coming home, and I would always I'd get to the top of a ridge and want to know what the next ridge was. And so I never learned to be afraid of the outdoors, even as a little kid. And and I got lost repeatedly and <laughs> learned how to be, learned how to deal with getting lost, including having to spend a night in the woods uh, uh, at the age of five or six. In which wow. case, the the only uh, problem was mosquitoes and. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, I uh, I ended up uh, writing. <clears throat> I ended up as an environmental planner out of uh, out of university, and uh, and I was the was the uh, master planner for a whole number of wild and scenic rivers, uh, including the Smith River, which is the largest in the lower forty eight states. And I spent four years running a team of fifty two scientists and planners uh, to develop. Uh, a plan to keep that river in its natural state uh, as long as this country is around. So, and then overseas too, I've been involved in Africa and a lot. In uh, actually got involved in hunting uh, elephant poachers in Africa as a military operation. Uh, and uh, all over the world, I've just been very involved in in species protection. And if you look back at where the the continent of North America was 200 years ago, with 60 million passenger pigeons and 60 million uh, buffalo and all the other animals that uh, we we eradicated very quickly. Um, I'm very conscious of what we need to save and what we need to protect. And, and this comes back to Idaho, too, and I spent a lot of time working on wolf issues, uh, very much involved in the original uh, reestablishment of wolves in the lower 48 states, which was... Uh, done under the uh, Clinton and G.W. Bush administrations. And, uh, hmm. of course, Idaho now is uh, doing its best to exterminate wolves, which is a tragedy on all levels. Uh, so, yeah, I've been, I, 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 
are very much uh, focused on the beauty of the natural world and the need for humans to to enjoy this paradise because if we if we don't have a spiritual connection with the natural world we we lose a lot of spiritual depth inside ourselves yeah um that's a good point because uh there are certain cultures in the united states that uh believe in the earth, or they live the earth, uh, right. they harvest from the earth. Um, American uh, Native Indians um, uh, had respect uh, for, their, for their land. Um, other indigenous populations that have migrated, you know, uh, even some of these Mexican migrant workers, um, a good sense of the land and respect. So, mm-hmm. yeah. We, we we it looks like we're just uh, we're we're destroying everything. Uh, um, you know, I got my own personal views. It's about money and power and everything else. Uh, uh, it seems that that humanity has lost the respect for the world we live in, and we we all know. I mean, none of us are stupid. We can all see that once we take away, we can't put back. Yep. Um, so. But 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 why you, Mike? I mean, who the hell cares? You know why why you? Why why do you get involved with this stuff? I mean, well, yeah, you know, it's it's a, if you love something, it's it's like a person in your family. If if someone is harming or destroying a person in your family, of course you're going to come to their aid. And and um, it's it's such a, the outdoors is such an important part of every human being's psyche. I mean, when again when I. When I think of being from a little kid all the way up and and being able to uh, <clears throat> being able to be out in the woods any time or be out on the wild ocean or or climbing mountains all over the world, I've climbed mountains on I think every continent, um, major mountains, and hmm. and then like being 15 or so and getting into bow hunting and and being uh, able to go out and uh, with a with a bow kill an elk and feed my my my, even though I was only 15, bringing the food home to the family. And, and then all the years, my wife and I and our kids, uh, we lived in Montana, just about 70 miles uh, from Idaho, just in south of Bozeman, Montana. Uh, to be able to go out in, that in, in some of those beautiful wildernesses and feel comfortable there gives one a deep spiritual uh, basis for life that that if if you go up and live all your life in New York City or in Cleveland or or uh, even if you just sit in Boise all the time and never go anywhere, uh, you lose that. So these these magnificent outdoors and these magnificent animals like wolves, um, they're very important to us spiritually. And when we kill them off, we kill off something inside ourselves. That's my belief anyway. Yeah. I, I agree. Uh, I, I I wouldn't consider myself a naturalist, but I was brought up in a family um, that that my mom and dad uh, instilled uh, respect, respect mm-hmm. for people, respect for nature, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, I, I get it. You know, I, I I agree, and I'm you know I'm nowhere intelli- an intelligent person, but I can absolutely see. <laughs> That. You're pulling our leg, Greg. Come all on. right, all right, all right. I'm not. I, I, I can. You know, come on, folks. I mean, uh, you know, cut down a tree takes you know years to, to 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 grow again. Blah blah blah. But that's you know, it's not only the trees. It's 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 what we're doing. Uh, we're ripping up the land. Uh, uh, we're mining. We're not reclaiming 
the land mm-hmm. in, in, in a lot of cases, uh, which really uh, impressed me when I came to Idaho because uh, Monsanto and uh, – um, the other big players that have been mining phosphate out here uh, were forced into a reclamation program after they mined. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that is so important uh, yeah, to try I to put too. back. Yeah. 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 And I, uh, <clears throat> when, I, when I was working, I worked as a consultant for the Forest Service and, and did a number of projects for them up in the Stanley area in the Sawtooth uh, National Recreation Area. Mm-hmm. And it's so beautiful up there. And it's so magnificent. <clears throat> excuse me. You can't imagine. <clears throat> you can't imagine ruining it. Right. And um, and it's the same with the uh, Frank Church uh, River of No Return uh, Wilderness and uh, and all kinds of beautiful places in Idaho. Idaho is an international treasure of of natural beauty, and it would it's a shame to see it go down the tubes. Boy, I, uh, you talk about natural beauty. Uh, the first thing that pops into my mind is the uh, uh, Columbia River. Uh, oh yeah. Area when you when you start climbing when you you know Idaho's a high level desert basically, and when you start mm-hmm. going down into the Columbian Basin, it it the 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 scenery and the wildlife is just freaking amazing. I mean, isn't it though? It is absolutely gorgeous. I never thought. I, I always thought Idaho was you know. Uh, plains and mountains and you know you wouldn't necessarily think of a jungle type of environment down at the uh, down in that basin. oh yeah it's beautiful when and did you bitter- <clears throat> go ahead. i was just gonna say the bitterroots too and, and yeah. also hell's canyon i mean there's so many wonderful parts of idaho yeah i've spent a lot of time in hell's canyon and in the bitterroots and, and they're totally different but you tremendously you, lovely you mentioned the oh. frank church um mm-hmm. um you know uh anybody that lives in Polk Teller, Southeast Idaho, knows that Idaho State University, uh, uh, I think annual, it puts on a uh, Frank Church symposium, and we get mm-hmm. some great speakers uh, out here. But but um, uh, elaborate a little bit more on, on, on that part of the river. Oh, I just think, it, well, well, the salmon and everything. I mean, right. it's, it's one of the most important places on the planet for natural beauty and for, for a, just a vestige of what we used to have. And... Um, the sad thing about it is is that it's kind of turned into um, n- nothing more than a hunting camp for outfitters and their wealthy clients. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really a shame because going back to the wolf thing, for instance, Greg, yeah. uh, in 1995 under President Clinton, uh, we released wolves back into the wild in, <clears throat> excuse me, in the area around Yellowstone, in Yellowstone National Park. And they they began to procreate and, and, and to expand in numbers. And the most amazing thing happened in Yellowstone National Park, which I know quite well, having spent so many years there. Um, it changed. It, it changed. It's, in fact, there's a marvelous video put out by National Geographic called How Wolves Change Rivers. And what happened is the, the, the National Park, Yellowstone, was way, way, way overpopulated with elk, and they had gone down into the river valleys and basically eaten everything. So there were very few willows, very few cottonwoods, things like that. And when the wolves came in, they started to, to uh, chase the elk out of the river valleys, out of the stream bottoms, and up, in, up into the timber, which... Uh, is is it's it's a little bit harder for an elk in terms of he's got to go up and down instead of just hang out by the riverside. Mm-hmm. And but what what happened is that the streams came back without the elk, 
living there 24-7, the willows came back and, and the cottonwoods came back. And once that shade came back, mm. then the rivers cooled and the trout, there were more trout. And, and what happened then is when the willows came back, then the beaver came back. And when the beaver came back, they made ponds with beaver dams. And that increased the trout uh, population as well and brought in tons and tons and tons of insects, which then brought back all the songbirds. And the, the whole evolution of, of the river, once the wolves came, uh, was, was magnificent to see. You got back to a natural landscape instead of one that was over-chewed over on by, by elk. Mm -hmm. And the actual number of elk killed by the wolves was, was quite minimal, 11% of um, the, the elk fatalities uh, within the park were due to wolves. Most of them are due to winter hunger and things like that. So... And G.W. Bush, under his presidency, to give him credit, he expanded the program, and <clears throat> we started getting wolves over into the Targhee National Forest and then and more and more into Idaho, and they were doing the same good thing there. But unfortunately, the ranchers, who had very few, uh, very few uh, wolf damages, in fact, uh, more sheep in Idaho die of drowning, uh, because they stand in the rain and then they fall over in the puddle because their 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 wool is so thick. The water soaked, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, they, hmm. the more more sheep in Idaho die of drowning hmm. from rain hmm. than from wolves. And every single every single sheep or uh, steer cattle that that was killed by wolves was fully reimbursed to the rancher. But nonetheless, the ranchers have gone on a tirade against wolves. And of course, the big uh, enemy of wolves is the outfitters because they want to and i i <laughs> i have to say as a young man i worked uh, i worked for an outfitter and you you take this client from new york city or somewhere and you you sit him on a hillside somewhere with a good field of fire and, <clears throat> and then you chase elk past him until he can finally hit one <laughs> so it's not exactly a a, a very uh, appealing sport but it makes outfitters a lot of money and the last thing they want to do is to have their client have to work to find his elk. They want the elk sitting there like in a zoo. So, so now you have the outfitters and the ranchers, and they've gone to the Obama administration and got the Obama administration to try to delist uh, wolves from the, from the rare and endangered species uh, listing. And then Governor Otter of, of Idaho has started this war on wolves, which is absolutely tragic. And now the Idaho legislature has passed a $400,000 uh, appropriation for uh, poisoning, uh, bombing, trapping, slaughtering wolves in every way they can, even into the wilderness areas where these areas, where these areas are not supposed to be impacted by such things, including the, uh, uh, the River of No Return. So Idaho has gone from being a wonderful state environmentally under Cecil Andrus and when Frank Church was senator and turns into a killing ground, and it's a tragedy. Yeah, and I don't get that because Otter, uh, uh, Otter's, a, Otter's a, uh, a rancher, basically. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. give me a break. How can, how can you not, how can you not uh, understand? Um, you know, we're talking, we're talking about the, the cycle of life here. You know, we're, we, we <laughs> everything feeds off everything else, as we know, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, mm -hmm. the food chain is very important. We're finding, uh, we're finding that out now in, in the oceans, um, mm -hmm. totally. uh, which is, which scares the hell out of me, uh, quite, 
quite honestly, because uh, um, I, I, <laughs> I, you know, life starts in the started in the ocean. At least that's what I think. And uh, yep. um, you know, there's so there's there's another world down there. Well, what's going to happen if if we destroy if we destroy the only world we're living in? Where are we going? Um, I don't want to go live on, on freaking Mars, you know, I don't. Absolutely I, not. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, um, so that's, that's sad that, uh, you know, you know, it's, it's this whole money power, uh, uh, thing that's been going on since day one. It, it's, it's, I, I just wish somebody, somebody with some power, somebody with some influence, you know, I wish, and there are people out there that, that get it, but, I, sh- I sure wish more people would get it and and just realize what the hell we're doing to ourselves. Um, yeah, I, I concur. And when you know you think of little things like bats, uh, bats, uh, the average bat, and this is a, this is a, a statistic that's almost impossible to believe, but I've I've really tracked it down, and it's true. The average bat in its lifetime will eat a thousand pounds of mosquitoes, and um, sometimes a bat will eat two to three hundred mosquitoes a day, mm-hmm. and um, and we're losing all our bats because mm-hmm. a combination of diseases that came in from other countries, but the main killer of bats now is wind turbines. And so they, what, what happens is the wind turbine creates a low-pressure zone and actually uh, it, it causes the bats' lungs to explode. And Whoa. so we're getting enormous, enormous uh, casualties, bat casualties from wind turbines. And then you could say, well, it's a quid pro quo, we're going to get clean energy. But, of course, the wind turbines don't give you clean energy. They're, they don't, they don't uh, lower greenhouse gases in one tiny bit, and, and they don't reduce fossil fuel use because you have to run a fossil fuel plant full-time to back up a wind turbine because wind is so uh, up and down. It's so erratic. So we make all these wrong choices. And, and you know, I was a big supporter of, Gov- of President Obama in this first race and, and yes. did everything I could to help and yes. sent money and worked my tail off. And he since turned out to be probably the most anti-environmental president we've ever had. And uh, it's a tragedy because, as you said a few minutes ago, we need somebody to, 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 to show us the way. And I had thought he might do it. Instead, he's doing the opposite, uh, sell, selling out to big money. And uh, it's a tragedy, again, for all the animals. Uh, but, and so I write about this in my books. This is, I mean, in my, my books are, are exciting, and people say they can't put them down, and, and people say that my books change them. But that's what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to put a reader so completely into a scene that they get the same emotional response to it that I got mm. when I was there, whether it's a battlefield or a problem with wolves or mm. you name it. Um, and I think that's important. I think writing has to be more than entertainment. It also has to help us to live at a deeper level so we, we learn more about the world. Yeah, and I, and I, um, I like authors who educate. Um, mm-hmm. you're one of those types that educate you, your book, the last Savannah, um, we're going into poaching, um, house of Jaguar. Um, we, we've got, uh, um, uh, well, house of Jaguar was more of a, uh, uh, kind of a, well, two gorilla. Houses. yeah, good, 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 good. I was say? just, I was just going to say it, uh, that House of Jaguar is not only about trying to live under a military dictatorship that killed a quarter of a million people, right. but also 
watching the this, the Latin of the Central American right. uh, rainforest disappear all around you, yeah. uh, while people try to scrape out some kind of a living. It's all I try to do, Greg, is I try to put my readers in real situations that are terrifying, exciting, uh, love stories, whatever, but so completely into them that, as, as you said, it, it is in a way educational, though you, you, can't, you can't start out that way. You start out trying to give the reader an astounding experience, and in the process, as you just said, they end up learning interesting stuff. Yeah, a better appreciation. Absolutely. And I think you do a damn good job of that, Mike. Um, oh, well, thank you, uh, I yeah, appreciate as, that. As I said off air, you know, we were talking about uh, writers in general. There's so many writers out there. And uh, as I told you, I was uh, 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 talking with Nelson DeMille a few weeks ago, and mm-hmm. he was getting on these armchair uh, uh, authors, uh, you know, um, Everybody's an author these days, but <laughs> but you know some somebody like you, Mike, who uh, actually live it. Um, I've got a lot more respect for someone like you than than someone who dreams it, and that's the God's truth. Um, oh well, thank uh, you, thank you very much. That's, well, that's, I've been at it for twenty twenty odd years and written it, several million words, and it, you get you do learn a lot over several million words. Yeah. Hey, um, uh, we've only got a couple minutes left, mm-hmm. but um, um, uh, I think I, th- you know, honestly, uh, one day we're going to have to get on and, and talk about each one of your books. You've got Saving Paradise, The Last Savannah, House of Jaguar, Holy War, which was a great book. Uh, I'm excited about Tibetan Cross. Um, mm-hmm. um, that is coming out what in September? Yes, it is, Greg. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and it's it basically, and again, based on my own experience, I was in the Himalayas climbing, and uh, there actually was a uh, nuclear warhead uh, backpack, what's called a backpack nuke, just simply because of something you can put in a suitcase, uh, that was uh, brought up the, through Nepal to go into Tibet um, to use against the Chinese. This was a while ago. And so that's the premise on which the book is 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 based and it's it's a, a not only a love story uh but also a a manhunt all the way from tibet to colorado so um it's it's uh it's done very very well internationally it was a bestseller uh overseas and uh so it's coming out now in in september we'll see how it does but people say it's one of those books like all my books you just can't put down once you pick up you read page one and you're gone <laughs> I, I concur. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. yeah. I re- I read the first chapter. If I'm not hooked, forget about it. I just you know get rid of it. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. You uh, you're a good writer. You write you write like a story, uh, like a movie, uh, which is what I like. Um, not complicated to follow. I can't stand authors who's got like 90 million characters in there, and you, you know. I, mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. Anyway, um, hell of a well, job. One last thing I might want to say about Please. really what drives me to write is if you go back like say ten, fifteen, twenty thousand years ago when we were sitting around uh, in front of our caves uh, around the campfire chewing on whatever we'd been lucky enough to kill that day, and we th- that's where our stories came from because our stories then were things like where where the where the antelope were that we could maybe eat the next day or where the danger was from the cave bear. We shared important information in the form of stories, and I, I don't think anything has changed. I think a good novel today does the same thing. It, it excites, it involves, and it shares important information that is of value to the listener as well as to the speaker. 
And that's where I, where I go with my books. Mm-hmm. I try to I try to make it an unusual and memorable experience for the reader. Well, Mike, um, you have made it uh, memorable for me. Um, uh, we've only known each other for a little while, but uh, I feel there's a connection there. There's some common ground, and love talking to you at any time, buddy. Well, I, I really appreciate the, the, the invitation in Chapter 1, and, and it's an exciting show, and, and I love Idaho. I love Idaho deeply, and I hope everybody takes better care of it than Butch Otter is doing. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> let's hope for the best in the future. Uh, i got to admit, um, uh, my favorite pre- uh, president, of course, was Kennedy because I grew yep. up during that, that time. And, uh, uh, you know, Kennedy was uh, was a very interesting man, but he was a good man. Uh, I think yep. deep down he was a good man. And, uh, you know, just like President Ob- uh, Obama, I think he's a good man. Um, I, th- I think he came into uh, his post with uh, – uh, with a little bit of uh, maybe some blinders on. Um, of course, uh, he was left with a, uh, uh, a couple of problems. <laughs> but, yeah, you, you're right. You know, we talked earlier about him turning. And, uh, you know, it's just I don't even want to try to understand politics at the Washington level. Uh, I, I think this is why I stay here in Idaho because it's, it's safe and I, I get what I need out of here. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, Idaho is a great place to be. Yeah, it's it one of the best places on the planet. Yeah. All right, folks. We're uh, we're going to say goodbye to Mike Bond. Um, we're going to have him back uh, uh, to discuss his book Tibetan Cross. Um, I want you all to uh, remember this name, Mike Bond, and jump on jump on his website, mikebondbooks.com. He's all over the place, uh, e-formats, hard copy, everything, uh, even on iTunes. So uh, anything else, Mike, before we say goodbye? No, I, I, was, I was just going to say, too, that all my books are on sale uh, through the end of September as e-books, and uh, you can pick them up at a very mo- modest price or go to your library. Most libraries have my books. Uh, and... Uh, and also, if anybody has a thought or a question or a comment, just uh, send it to me on my website on contact, and I will get back to you directly. Great. Great, Mike. And, <clears throat> thank you so much, Greg, and my best to everyone out there in the Pocatello area and all of Idaho. Thank you, Mike. Good talking.